When I was writing out the script for this podcast, I was trying to think of a way to instantly grab the attention of a Gen Z audience. So, here's my attempt. There's a movie, a cinematic masterpiece that came out in 2004. Don't ask about how I knew the date without looking it up. I don't know either. With a scene, well, many scenes, but one in particular, that is cemented in all of our heads. After Mr. Sexy Museum Man knocks on the front door and Velma embarrassingly hides, her more feminine presenting bestie Daphne convenes with her under a weird rounded orange desk thing. Weird design choice there. I don't really understand what that's about. There's papers and computers. I don't like who's using this rounded desk. Anyways, Daphne proposes that a makeover is due. So cut to the other room some unknown time later, and we see red-headed museum guy chatting it up with heartthrob Fred. Then the new and improved Velma comes strutting down the stairs. The plum carpeted stairs, may I add, which is another weird design choice. Who, what's going on in this house? Who, whose house is this anyways? Mystery Ink House? Do they, do they all live in the same house? There's lots of plot holes here. But anyways, Velma's in her red shiny leather pantsuit getup. Her glasses are gone. Her hair is long and poofed up in the back. Didn't she have short hair? How did her hair get long? Extensions? Okay, besides the point. Everyone seems a little confused, but that's also besides the point because this scene is still imprinted in all the minds of every Gen Z kid. Also, when I was trying to write the introduction for this episode, Peter Mind gave me a great analogy that I've been stuck on. This is all related, so just wait. The introduction of a podcast should be like a Scooby-Doo episode. You start with a little fun reveal of the monster to get people interested in the mystery and adventures, but you know there's more to the story. That old balding guy isn't really the monster, or he is and there's just a bigger beast, a more threatening ghoul, waiting just around the corner. In the same way, when you think of Velma in her red leather suit, it's funny and sexy and reminds you of your sexual awakenings, which reminds you of the Hex Girls, which reminds you of the Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders. Oh, and don't forget the banger of an intro song from What's New Scooby-Doo, but don't forget that this podcast isn't about Scooby-Doo. That's not why you click to listen at all. When you think of Velma's iconic red leather costume, it really reminds you of something else completely unrelated. A different story, a more complex character waiting just around the corner. I'm Tony Elton and this is Soundscape, songs that define Gen Z. On this episode, the very first in the series, we're examining the year 2000, kicking it off with a hit song from that year, Britney Spears' Oops I Did Again. Get ready, cause it's a doozy. I spilled coffee all over my skin. The tragedy of Britney Spears. She was a pop princess. Now she's in and out of hospitals, rehab, and court. How Britney lost it all. That was from a Rolling Stones headline in 2008. Heavy. A little different in flavor from the iconic red leather pantsuit imagery I kicked the episode off with. So let's shift gears for a sec and go back to the lightheartedness. But don't say I didn't warn you. From the top, Britney Spears was born in Macomb, Mississippi on December 2nd, 1981. She's a Sagittarius. She grew up in Kentwood, Louisiana, which is smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. So, granted, she sang in choir and went to church every Sunday. You know, good old Christian girl stuff. Her mother, Lynn Spears, was an elementary school teacher, and her father, Jamie Spears, was a contractor. Uh, her dad juggled a lot of jobs and ended up filing for bankruptcy when she was younger. He struggled with alcohol and just wasn't really present in her life growing up at all, which comes to be kind of ironic later on. 
Brittany began singing and dancing as early as the age of two and began competing in talent shows, winning her first at age six. Two years later, at age eight, she auditioned for the all-new Mickey Mouse Club, but she was deemed too young. But that didn't stop her. A theme, a theme that we'll find throughout this is that Britney Spears is a go-getter and she will not be stopped by anyone telling her she doesn't have the, the means to do something. So even at age eight, her family helps her to get an agent in New York and she spends summer there while she's attending the Professional Performing Arts School, which is fucking crazy. She's eight years old. She appears in commercials and plays and two years later is finally casted onto the Mickey Mouse Club along with Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera. The show was canceled in 1995, so it was a short run for her, and she just goes back to living in Kentwood, which is kind of strange in the New York Times Presents series, uh, the one talking about Britney Spears. She basically says that she goes back to Kentwood and she's living a normal like high schooler life. She's playing on the school's basketball team, hanging out with friends, doing homework, shit like that. But she's, it was a really tough time for her. She's really missing being in, you know, all she's really known is performing and being on the Mickey Mouse Club, that was kind of her her prime time. That was where she felt she needed to be. So she continues writing music, recording demos, and she signs to Jive Records in 1997 when she was 15 years old. Jesus Christ. When I was 15, I couldn't even drive yet. I was having my parents drive me around to school and stuff. What the fuck? Anyways, so now is when we really, that, think about the, the short time from that. She is like first, on television in 1995, signed to 97, and then Baby One More Time is released in 1998, and the album follows in 1999. So her claim to fame was obviously the video for Baby One More Time. You know it. She's dressed as a schoolgirl. It's giving uh, controversial. Let's not talk about that one too much. So, as well as the album, although that also stirred up some mixed reviews and conversation, it's still put Britney Spears on the map and in the media's eye as she was nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammys in 2000, and her album is now looked at as one of the most influential pop records of all time. I think that year she didn't win the Grammy, I think Christina Aguilera actually beat her out. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what I read, um, which is kind of ironic because they're both in the Mickey Mouse Club together, so would you look at that? So her fame was really a phenomenon after she blew up. Um, in the late 90s early 2000s especially because of like the because of the boy band era going on at the time there weren't a lot of women and especially young women that were kind of making their break like this so in 1999 she's also on the cover of rolling stone um with the headline inside the heart mind and bedroom of a teen dream all right that's pretty foul but we'll also discuss that later anyways so she's making huge headlines she's kind of instantaneously a celebrity a pop icon it just keeps going up from there because Oops, I Did It Again comes out in 2000. She has Britney, which comes out in 2001, and In The Zone, which comes out in 2003. She has several other albums that come out after. She even has one that just came out in 2020. Um, but of course, she was in her conservatorship from about 2008 until 2020. So, you know, you can't really say a whole lot about how good those albums are because she was probably forced against her will to record them. So we're just going to keep it at that in terms of her musical career. But some other iconic Britney moments from the 2000s of course include the Oops I Did It Again video, the iconic red leather suit. I actually went back and watched that video recently 
And there's like a whole storyline that I didn't even know. They're like, it starts off, it's like one of those fucking 2000s things where it's always like, there has to be a storyline. There has to be this whole long intro part to this video where you don't, you know, there's like three minutes of non-music. It's like, who who's actually watching that? Well, me, but they're like on a alien, they're on a spacecraft and they're like, something's here. And they pick up a, one of Brit, Britney Spears CDs. I think it's the CD to, oops, I did it again. And they're like, what is this? And then all of a sudden Britney Spears is like, she's on like another, like an alien spacecraft thing. And then it's all these like backup dancers in silver and red getup, like dancing behind her. It's, it's so fascinating. What a 2000s moment. Anyways, she performed with Madonna in the 2003 VMAs, which kind of puts her on the map even further as like a pop icon. And she continues to have this career of performances at the VMAs for better or for worse, you know, but I think in 2005 is when she whips out that snake, that giant anaconda type snake. Actually, I don't think it's an anaconda. I think it's a bull snake, but it's a really big bull snake. I don't know. That's insane. But she's just kind of everywhere in the 2000s. She's really, her music is a success. She's in the public eye a lot, of course. And she's just kind of becoming this pop icon and honestly a role model for a lot of young girls in the time as well. Now, to give a disclaimer from what I've learned about Britney Spears' career, she was failed by the media, who, from what it seems, made it their mission to soil her reputation and image, as well as the rampant misogyny during the 2000s. So I did not condone this kind of behavior and coverage, but we all have to admit that some hot celebrity Gus will, without fail, suck you in. And to be fair, all of Britney's drama that was presented in the media is important to her story and how her music affected a whole generation. So with all due respect, Let's get into the thick of it. A huge part of Britney Spears' career was how she was seen in the media. And a huge part of that was her relationships that she was in. So let's take it back to the late 90s when love was in the air. But this story is not all that it seems. So in 1999, Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake announced that they were dating to the public. They were the hot couple. It was the perfect teen moment. Pop princess and prince of boy bands were in love. It was straight out of a Disney Channel original movie. But as always, shit got messy. For some context, as everything in Britney's life was documented in the media, especially tabloid headlines, the entire relationship and those to follow were closely followed by the media outlets. So everything that I was reading is obviously like taken with a grain of salt because stuff was just so blown out of proportions and I feel like Britney's side of everything was not really listened to. Like, you know, she's not on, she's not up on talk shows saying a whole lot or revealing too much, but it just really gets blown out of control. So in nearly every interview during this time of her relationship with Justin Timberlake, and even after Britney's asked about the relationship and even her sexuality and relationship to it. So she has these huge albums blowing up and people are still like, you know, give us the hot goss on Justin Timberlake. Like fair, they were the hot couple, but then they're asking questions about her virginity. like and all this stuff, and she's kind of like forced to say out in public that she's saving herself for marriage, which if she didn't want to disclose, like, I don't know if she did or not, but she shouldn't be expected to do that, especially when she's 18, 19, 20 years old. Like, it's just pretty fucked up. On a lighter note, there was some good stuff going on with this relationship for a while. The iconic denim moment with Spears and JT in 2001 at the American Music Awards, the same year that they performed together at the Super Bowl, which is like the most American thing I've ever said, but they were really playing the part of that perfect pop couple. But comes 2002, 
an amazing year because I was born, but a fateful year for those that were looking up to this iconic couple of JT and Britney Spears because they break up. And in the media, JT, he really, he really loses it, to say the least. He takes the role of the victim, saying in interviews that Britney cheated on him and continuously slut-shaming her. She was made out to be this all-American boy while she was written off as the town slut in the celebrity world. On a radio show with Howard, Howard Stern or some shit like that, which is a bad sign already, he, allude, he alluded to taking her virginity. True or not, again, this is a complete violation of her privacy, and he's saying that he's a victim? The whole situation is shady to me. And to top it all off, with the most vengeful, and sadly, bumpin', cherry on top, Crimea River comes out in December of 2002. The video basically incriminates and blames Brittany for the downfall of their relationship. It, it's so blatant, too. I again went back and watched this. Like, these are videos I haven't watched since I was probably, like, five years old, like, sitting on my coffee table in my living room, like, watching MTV. And this is, this shit is crazy. Like, he's depicting, like, this whole cheating scene and this, like, woman leaving him. And you can tell so clearly, like, she's supposed to be Britney Spears. Like, the, the woman even is, like, blonde that looks like her. I'm like, dude, you can be a little more subtle. Like, he's really raking in the profit. He's bringing home the bacon with this. So, you know, even in 2003, Britney responds with the song Every Time, which feels a little bit more like an apology, but they're kind of doing this back and forth, like, through song. I don't know if they've even, like, publicly or privately had any discussion of the breakup or any, I don't know, just, like, reconciliation about it, but... That's just insane to me how public all of this trauma was like that's literally like if any of my breakup stuff was like in the public like that oh my god i already feel crazy enough in relationships like let alone it's broadcasted everywhere holy shit so anyways basically misogyny was rampant at the time it still is a thing but jt was really fueling it then oh my god also a side note <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> this will be my last side note. But they're in the New York Times Presents series um, episode of Framing Britney, which I recommend you watch because I got a lot of information for this podcast from that episode. They sh they show a clip from like 60 Minutes or some other like late night talk show, evening talk show type thing. Um, and they quote the wife of the governor of Maryland. First of all, why is she relevant? Second of all, she's... <laughs> She's saying that she would shoot Britney Spears if she could. Like, she, she straight up is just like, I would shoot Britney Spears if they could. And they, like, play that clip and Britney Spears is like, what the fuck? Like, that's so mean. And I just think it's like, like, actually, what the fuck? Like, why were people so up in arms about Britney Spears? Like, misogyny was that, was that intense? Okay. I'm sorry. I just thought that was so ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways, that's pretty much the end of that. Spears was shown a lot, like, breaking down on public TV Well. You know, JT's just on his fucking macho man, misogynist rampage. Okay, maybe that's a little too intense, but he was being a little bitch. And then still, in 2006, he's not over it because he releases the song What Goes Around Comes Around, which is stooping so fucking low because we'll get into it soon with what's happening with Britney in 2006. But that's just a low blow, dude. And if you're not over it by that point, like, go to therapy, man. I understand, you, like I said, he wants to bring home that bacon, but dude let it go like she I, I bet she doesn't she didn't even care at that point though she was so occupied with other more pressing things i don't know but i will say what goes around comes around is a good song so kudos to him i guess for that anyways 
Moving on to Kevin Federline. Brittany met the famous dancer in the summer of 2004 and then got married three months later. In 2005, Spears gave birth to her first son, then a year later to her second. She talked in the media about how she was ready to be a mom pretty much right after that she got married. Everything seemed perfect, again, as it always does at first, but shit gets messy. So, in 2006, weeks after her second son was born, she files for a divorce. During this time, she also begins struggling with addiction. From about 2007-2008, Spears began struggling with Fireline over the custody of her sons. The paparazzi was also on her really intensely, and in February 2007 was when she shaves her head in public as a giant fuck you middle finger to the media and paparazzi, and just a way to get get them, like, to stop obsessing over her image. Like, same thing like I said, like, if you're Imagine like all of your relationships being followed and then as you get older then it's like your issues in your personal lives from addiction to divorce like that's so horrible to have that just like broadcasted basically without your permission like yes celebrities are putting themselves in this public sphere but like they still have a right to privacy they're still people which in the 2000s was like not a concept at all like celebrities were not even close to human for us, I don't think. Like, they were on this, I mean, they're still on this pedestal that we put them on, but in the 2000s, that pedestal was, like, up to the fucking sky. Yeah, she shaves her head, and with that, she she says, and I quote, I just don't want anybody touching my head. I don't want anyone touching my hair. Fair. And also, she looks fucking rocking with the shaved head, and I'm not just saying that because my head's shaved. Honestly, she pulls it off better than I do, but it looks good. Why was everyone tripping anyways? Like, badass move badass look period so she's in and out of rehab and in 2008 is placed under her conservatorship with her father being the conservator so he pops out the woodwork like when and is like yeah you know what i think i have the right to all of her decisions in her life so yeah that makes sense like i'm glad the american court system worked that out in a fair respectful way um anyways Spears tries to end the conservatorship many times, claiming that it's abusive, and she struggled with ending it until November of 2021 with the aid of the Free Britney campaign on social media. So I'm not going to get too much into this, but it is a really fucked up situation. It's just unbelievable that A, it was even possible in the first place, and B, that it took 13 years to end. Are you fucking kidding me? Anyways, so we kind of know the story with that if you've been on social media within recent years. Um, and following that case. But again, the New York Times Presents series has an episode on that as well, which is really good. So let's dig in a little bit to how Brittany was looked at in the media. Aside from just being followed all the time, she was super hypersexualized from a young age. Uh, the Baby One More Time video, <sighs> here's the thing. It, it is it is sexual in nature. I'd say, hit me baby one more time, yeah. But to what extent was Britney really, I don't know. It's, it's sexual in nature and it does have a large effect on teen girls that are watching this, you know, but there, but then you see her in, in interviews and she kind of has this sweet innocence and she's really approachable to audiences. So it's this really interesting dichotomy that you have. But regardless, you know, like, it was a sexual thing, but how much of that was from her, you know, her team that she was working with, you know, she probably had people that were pushing her to be into that more sexual sphere, like, because she'll get more recognition, because people will like her more, yada, 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 which is just so problematic. 
and that kind of just shows even in the media at the time in every single interview she's asked about a boyfriend and she's asked about uh, you know all these things and she seems to play it off pretty well for a while but you can see how it can get tiring and like degrading you like I said you're super successful and people are like oh you have a boyfriend how's Justin Timberlake like no wonder she was so fed up by the end she was just under so much scrutiny in the media you know it's probably like walking on eggshells everything she does but yeah so I think for a while she she brushes it off pretty well but the media's degradation of her and that scrutiny was probably just also a way to kind of keep her cased in and keep her confined because she was a woman in charge a young woman in charge of her career and that scared people like she was her own boss she was running that shit she wasn't just sitting back and having her whole team do everything for her while she sat and looked pretty and sexy she was out there like planning her choreography like she was really part of every moving piece and she had decision making in every moving piece of her career um obviously until her conservatorship but she was her she was her own boss people didn't like that and so they were gonna say and do whatever they wanted to her to bring her down so that kind of made me think like even today like how that how seeing Britney and like looking up to her and following her through our childhoods like in Gen Z and for millennials too um it was kind of common just to see that shit all the time like I think about the Olsen twins and how there was this huge like countdown to their 18th birthday that was in the media like that's so sickening and today even we see celebrities now like Billie Eilish who is part of Gen Z and probably listened to Britney Spears as she was growing up and she made this conscious effort to protect her innocence and like censor herself by wearing baggy clothes until she was 18 which you know shouldn't be her job like if you want to wear baggy clothes of course wear them but it shouldn't be because you are worried that people are going to sexualize you and say things about your body like women and girls should be able to wear whatever they want and not have people say anything about it but talking about Britney Spears in relation to that like how much of that is because of Britney Spears that we're having these conversations now so you can see the lineage, you can see the impact. She's the perfect celebrity for America in decline. Like President Bush, she just doesn't give a fuck, but at least we won't have to clean up after her mess for the rest of our lives. That was from that same 2008 article by Vanessa Gregoriadis. Now I'm not trying to rip on this article, but I don't think that's enough blame taken as a large media outlet. Britney Spears' story, her life during the 2000s is the epitome of how insane and violating the media and paparazzi were at the time, as well as how gender and sexuality was viewed and exploited and how that affects where we're at now in society, like I said, in the development of Gen Z in general. So all that is pretty deep, but on a lighter note, Britney Spears gave us some bangers, amazing performances, and yes, it's true, some hot celebrity gossip that's essential to the 2000s. She gave female artists a new voice in the time, of the boy band craze, and despite her debatable negative influence, she gives Gen Z youth a model for a female artist that has autonomy over her own decisions. I also want to add that the conservatorship stuff, that is just a sentiment to how much of a bad bitch Britney Spears is because even when she had no control over her life, she was still fighting for her own autonomy. And that is something that is respectable and should be looked up to. Like I, admire her for her courage and her just willpower it's fucking amazing britney spears had influence and control over our attention since her rise to fame with oops i did it again which is why it would be criminal not to include her as the spearhead for songs that define gen z 
Next episode, we'll be going a way more silly, goofy route, talking about what I think is the most iconic Gen Z song ever. What somebody told me is to millennials is what this song is to Gen Z. Does that make any sense to anybody else besides me? Regardless, you don't want to miss it, so see you then. This podcast was written and produced by me, Tony Elton. Music by Sam Shapiro. Special thanks to Carlos Jimenez and the University of Denver's Media, Film, and Journalism Department.